0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again to all of you. Glad to see you. Welcome to those who are watching online. Last week, we finished a three-week sermon series where we were revisiting our mission and our vision. And we talked about how we connect to God and others in worship. We're doing this morning. We grow towards God and others uh, in prayer and in Bible study, and we serve for God and for others in our community. Today, we're talking about stewardship. Nobody online should turn off the uh, uh, the video. Hearing that, the room kind of goes cold sometimes when I say, "Oh, we're talking about stewardship today." Because what most people expect when we say we're talking about stewardship is a a plea, a plea for as much money as possible. I have heard, I don't like that any more than you do, really. I, I've heard sermons that uh, sound like that for, that sound fairly desperate, some that sound manipulative, and one actually stands out because the preacher basically apologized to the, um, to the congregation and said, they, they make me talk to y'all about money. So I actually love talking about money. Uh, Not to try to get as much uh, out of you as possible, but uh, I I love it first because I believe in the mission. I believe in what we're doing here, and I believe we just see God working here every week at staff meeting. We talk about what we call wins, uh, ways that we see God working and every week. It's it's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, More importantly than that, though, I love talking about money because, as we'll see, money often occupies a spiritual place in our lives. And and so uh, God is going to give to Church of Our Savior. He always takes care of us. Uh, I am always amazed at how he does that through many of you and also through some unexpected sources even. uh, He has provided generously uh, for the church this year, and he does every year. Uh, September was sort of a stinker. But overall, he has has really uh, provided for us. Now, what I hope that you will hear in the stewardship sermon is what I hope you hear in every sermon, and that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our passage from Mark chapter 10, it's a very well-known story because it comes around every year in the lectionary because it's also in Matthew and in Luke. And this fellow who runs up to Jesus is often called the rich young ruler, Matthew is the one who tells us he was young, and Luke tells us he was a ruler of some sort, but they all tell us he was rich. And the reason for that is because it is not his, uh, his age or his vocation that are a stumbling block in his life, but it's his wealth that is a stumbling block. And it's actually what Jesus says about the wealthy that is actually quite a tough pill to swallow. Now, many of you know that I have a 16-year-old daughter named Caroline, and she is amazing. She's super smart and uh, talented and beautiful and faithful. And this man who runs up to Jesus, I mean, at least on paper, if Caroline gets married in many years from now, uh, this is the kind of man that I want her to marry. I mean, he's got a flaw. We're going to get to that. but, But this is an impressive fella. He is obviously an unusually capable young man. But ha- because he's, We see that because he's been given a leadership role of some sort in the community. Now remember, this is a uh, community that prized the wisdom of elders. And so uh, for a young man to be given a ruling position, probably in the local synagogue, he must have not just been smart, but actually both wise and incredibly proficient as well and he's done very well for himself that's good for a, you know my future son-in-law he has made some good investments and he's respectful to Jesus he's really respectful and he's both moral and faithful he says he's had a long history of living according to the commandments of God and he's probably good looking and athletic i i, I <laughs> I tend to hate those guys, really. Um, But we're talking about my son-in-law. So what is perhaps most impressive to me is that this young man is humble and self-aware. He's got a lot to be proud of, but there is no swagger that we see. There's no arrogance. He runs up to Jesus and kneels down in front of him. And he asks what I think is probably the question. For all of us, the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He does not look at his own life and assume that God is as impressed as the disciples apparently are with him. He does not assume that his wealth and his status are indications of God's eternal favor, but he is a man of action. And so he wants to know, how, how can I know I've got heaven locked up? What do I got to do? The commentators will tell you that uh, the way he asks the question, the construction and the grammar, indicate that the man expected Jesus to name some sort of great deed that would settle the matter once and for all before God. What must I do? And Jesus' response tells us that he knows us so well inside and out he knows us it also tells us that he meets us where we are but he is not afraid to push a pain point in our lives in order to move our relationship with jesus forward and so he meets this earnest faithful a little naive wealthy young man right where he is but he's going to push him he's going to push him hard and so he says, "You know the commandments, right?" And he, Jesus rattles them off: "You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you need to honor your parents, don't bear false witness." And the man—it is hard to tell. Does he like swell with like, "Oh my gosh, that's great! I've already done all that," or does he think, "Well, there's got to be something else." But he just says, "I've done all these from my youth, meaning from the day of my bar mitzvah. I have." I have carried these things out. I have, I've kept these commands. But I wonder if you noticed that Jesus left one out. He left one out. And I think he left this particular command out because he knew this particular young man. He knew his heart. He knew all his good, but he also knew his stumbling block. If Jesus left out, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. Mark tells us that Jesus looked this young man in the face and he loved him. And it is with that love that he names the idol. And it's kind of like a spiritual Heimlich maneuver. I mean, he hits him right in the gut and it hurts, but it is, the purpose of it is he's clearing the airway. He's getting what's blocking out of there. Sell your possessions, Jesus says. Give them to the poor and then follow me. Now, notice, Jesus does not say, sell your possessions and then you'll have eternal life. Because it's in following Jesus, it's in trusting his death and resurrection. That's what gives us eternal life. And so, Jesus sees that there's something blocking this man's spiritual airway, something that's keeping him from bring, being able to breathe in the Spirit and that is that his wealth and possessions actually own him. His wealth owns him. They're his identity. They're his security blanket. They're his surrogate savior. Maybe it was because they indicated his status. Maybe it was the luxury that he just enjoyed. Maybe it was simply... That his wealth and possessions were validation for a lot of hard work. Whatever it is for this rich young ruler, Jesus hits him right in the gut, showing him that his wealth holds a spiritual place in his life. It's not just something he's grateful for, it's something he needs, it's something he has to have to be content. And he's shocked. And he goes away grieving. Mark says. We don't know what happens. Maybe he gets to a point where he's able to give up the idol. Maybe he doesn't. But at this point, at least, the airway stays blocked. And he prefers his earthly wealth to eternal life. Now, when I've preached this in the past, I'll make a turn right here. And I'll say, you know, maybe, I don't know what it is for you, maybe it's not wealth, maybe it's something else what would it be that Jesus asks of you? Go and fill in the blank and then follow me. What is it that Jesus is asking you to give up? And that's a really good question. Maybe that's what you need to to work on today, but, but we're thinking about stewardship. And if we're really faithful to the text, we see that Jesus does not make that turn. Jesus sticks with wealth. And so we're going to talk about wealth. Jesus dumbfounds his disciples who seem to assume that that wealth is a sort of earthly indicator of God's favor And we can sometimes make that assumption too but he dumbfounds them when he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God Now you might have heard somebody say that there was a gate in Jerusalem but it was a small gate and and to get your camel through it, you had, it was really hard, you had to coax them to their knees and crawl through it. It's fiction. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. It means what Jesus says. He's saying it's easier to fit a Clydesdale through a keyhole. That's what Jesus means. It's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because wealth takes a spiritual place in our lives. The very first commandment of the Ten Commandments says, have no other gods before me. And that's what an idol is. It's a little god that in our hearts becomes a big god and in fact takes the place of God. Or or something we need in addition to God. And, And we can have this whether we're poor or rich. If we're poor, we might think, if I only had money then I would be happy. Or we might be rich and think, I'm, I'm happy because I have wealth. Or my, like most of us, we might be somewhere in between and sometimes we feel pride and sometimes we feel jealousy. And here, it, this is why it's so easy for money to take such a divine role in our lives because we need it for Everything. For everything, you woke up this morning in the house that you're paying for and, I hope, took a shower and water that you pay for and then ate breakfast food that you bought at the grocery store, picked out the clothes that you paid for, drove over here in the car that you are paying for on roads that your taxes paid for to sit in a church and listen to a preacher that your tithes and offerings pay for. Money touches everything. And more money does make some things easier, doesn't it? You know, a little less stress, better food, better trips, better health care. I mean, rich people, they got their problems too. And sometimes rich people have big, hairy problems. But i have still yet to meet somebody who wouldn't like just a little bit more money. Just this past week, uh, I saw a headline that Elon Musk passed Jeff Bezos to become the wealthiest person in the world with a net work, personal net worth of over $200 billion. And Musk said that he was going to send Jeff Bezos a silver medal and a giant statue of the number two. I <laughs> think It's hilarious. Um, I don't know if he did, but that's what he said he was going to do. If you're trying to fill your heart with money, there's never enough, even on that level. John Rockefeller famously said, how much is, when will you have enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I am solidly middle class by American standards. I mean, we're all wealthy by global standards, but solidly middle class by American standards. If Jesus asked me to sell my possessions, I would be terrified. And maybe some a little resentful. I, I would like to think piously that I would say, well, okay, and I would do it because Jesus said to do it. But I don't know. This was a pious man too. I might be shocked and go away grieving like he did. Jesus takes this man, and by extension he takes all of us to the very brink of despair. It takes us to the brink of impossibility. Because this guy has never been helpless in his life. He's like all of you are. He's an all-star. He's a doer. He is a problem solver. He is a noble success. But let me tell you, if this, like selling all the possessions, if that's the great deed that will seal the deal for eternal life, he's toast. Think we all would be, but the money line, and I don't mean money, no pun intended. But the money line in this passage is for God. All things are possible. For God, all things are possible. Salvation is a gift. It is not earned by good or grand deeds. It's not earned by following commandments. Because we can't do it perfectly. There's always a flaw. There's always a blind spot or two. (laughs) Hundred. But when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He pulled all of us camels through the eye of the needle. With God, all things are possible. With God, you are His child. By His grace, you are an heir of eternal life. here's the thing about grace grace meets you right where you are right where you need it but grace loves you too much to leave you there and jesus doesn't ask us to sell all our possessions i believe that but he does want us to give up the idols that are blocking the airway in our hearts and one of the things that he gives us to to keep our possessions from owning us, is he gives us the call to financially support his work around us. And for Amy and I, giving generously to the church, and we do, giving generously is an opportunity to trust God to provide for us. When we have given to the church first, you know, we, we get the paycheck and then we Write the check, or actually, I do it on. I do it on my phone. I give uh, by text. When we do that first, I'm, we've never been sorry. I mean, sometimes I'll be. I mean, sometimes it's tight. Sometimes it is, but I've never been sorry. But if I drag my feet and I kind of wait around to the end of the pay period, and I think now it's time to pay the church. That money's gone. It's been spent already. Right, giving. Now, I want you to know this. Giving challenges me. It doesn't come easy to me. I, 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 you probably don't, but I worry about money. I do. And giving forces me to let go of the idol. At least in part, over and over again, I'll probably take that idol back. But giving forces me to let it go for a minute. And it is the continual grace of God in that moment that makes me want to keep trying. To return his eternal generosity with earthly generosity. So in that sense, giving becomes a grace. It's a grace. So I want to encourage you to give generously to your church and to other gospel causes around you. Give 10%. I mean, that is scary, y'all. 10% of your income, or more. Give silly. It's not going to get you eternal life. Jesus already did that. You have eternal life. Give generously. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've given me. Give generously so other people can hear the gospel good news that you've heard and embraced. And give what you can give cheerfully. Remember that all things are possible with God. Amen.